Thank you for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. A new report is out rating each political party's plans for health care in this province. Three quarters of Ontario nurses say they are burned out. The Leafs and Lightning need a Game 7. CFL training camp set to open this weekend and the Ticats will be at MAC. One more win and the Bulldogs are going to be in the OHL's Eastern Conference Final. And Sunday night will be the night to see a special lunar eclipse. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The Ontario Medical Association releasing a report card which rates Ontario's political parties and how they plan to improve our health care system. There's a lot of heavy lifting to be done, that is for sure. And it's one of the major topics in this election campaign and really in every election campaign. So how did each political party do? Well, let's ask the president of the Ontario Medical Association, Dr. Rose Zacharias, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Zacharias, thanks for your time. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How was this report created? Well, actually, six months ago, the Ontario Medical Association released a five-point plan, really a strategy coming out of the pandemic, how to address the gaps that have now been exposed in our healthcare system. And, you know, leading up to the election, we really wanted to know how is each political party stacking up with regards to our recommendations. And so we've released a report card, and uh, it's right there on betterhealthcare.ca for anyone to have a look at to really see how well are the gaps uh, intended to be addressed by the political parties. So how are our political parties doing? Are they failing? Are they passing? Are they just getting by? Well, actually, we're encouraged by every party's alignment with our plan for better care. More specifically, um, what we know needs to be addressed is, first and foremost, the catch-up on the incredible backlog. 22 million patient care services have been backlogged while we were dealing with the crisis of COVID. So we're talking about hip surgeries, knee surgeries, mammograms and colonoscopy cancer screenings. All these patients have been waiting for that care. And so that's really the number one priority right now to catch up on that backlog. But we've also rated each political party on on the intention to expand mental health care, to improve community and long-term care, also to strengthen a public health strategy so that another public health crisis doesn't take us by storm the way COVID did. Um, and then also wanting every every person in Ontario to have a family doctor. We know that one million people in Ontario don't have a family doctor. So really the importance there is to wrap around every person in Ontario, not just a family doctor, but a healthcare team. And this is key, atta- um, connected digitally, so that we're working with technology to keep the healthcare system connected. And so the ratings are there. Um, the best score you can get is 18, but... The average scores are 7, 9, 10 um, when you have a look at each political party. Uh, The PCs and Liberals both scoring uh, a 10, the NDP with 9, the Greens with 7, and you rated each kind of category, uh, wait times for instance, using one out of three stethoscopes, and only one party got three out of three. That was the NDP when it comes to healthcare in Northern Ontario. Do you have an optimistic feeling that they're getting at least some things right in their plans? Well, I am an optimist. I think we need to move forward with optimism and hopefulness. 
Indeed, in that one of six categories, the NDP does score three stethoscopes, which shows a most alignment. The stethoscopes are earned as far as the degree of alignment with our prescription for Ontario or our uh, recommendation. And so here we actually rated the NDP's platform on addressing Northern Ontario healthcare challenges. And so they have made some specific promises, including hiring 300 doctors in the North, 100 specialists, 40 mental health practitioners, and also taking stronger action to address the opioid crisis, particularly on First Nations reserves. And so there, in that one of six categories, this party has uh, has made a strong commitment. Now, as far as the willpower and the implementation, we have yet to see on 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 that. Of course, any any of the parties that form government will be following along to see and releasing updated report cards as far as how extensively each of our recommendations has been adopted. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. We're talking about the OMA's report card that rates Ontario's political parties' plans for health care and some of the key elements in the health care system. Uh, when it comes to reducing wait times and the backlog of services, which might be the number one item on many people's list, both the Liberals and the PCs rank two out of three stethoscopes, the NDP and the Greens, with one. It is nice to see, and much has been mentioned about mental health services and addiction services in our province, and all four main political parties get two stethoscopes there. So they seem to be uh, doing a good job, or at least uh, paying a lot more attention to that issue in our community. Absolutely. We know that the pandemic has been a particularly difficult, stressful time for everyone in Ontario. And so we are looking for an investment in our mental health program. Prior to the pandemic, one in five people said they were experiencing mental health struggles. So depression, anxiety, and that's even despite the stigma of coming forward with mental health issues. And we know, as per a recent survey, that 84% of Ontarians have said the pandemic exacerbated mental health conditions. People that um, were dealing with stressors reasonably well before tend now to have difficulty there. And so we need to have a system, really a community-based, publicly funded system where there's teams of people, not just one solo family doctor that manages um, this type of struggle, but really teams of people, more psychotherapists, more social workers, um, to assist um, the healthcare practitioners to to really help people. I work in the emergency department. Our doors are open 24-7, um, but the people coming in saying, you know, I, I, I really can't manage and cope anymore is, uh, is really a, a tsunami of people. So this is where we're looking for investment. Dr. Zacharias, appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the front lines and helping us get through this pandemic as well. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Rose Zacharias, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Uh, Two elements that political parties obviously have to improve, strengthening public health and pandemic preparedness and giving every patient a team of healthcare providers and link them digitally. All four parties scoring a one out of three in those two categories. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. They really need to repeal that bill. Nurses that responded, even though we didn't even ask about Bill 124, but they put narratives. 
said that the legislation symbolizes disrespect and disregard for them as nurses. That is the voice of Registered Nurses Association of Ontario CEO Doris Grinspun reflecting on a new report from the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario uh, in uh, as it delves into the pandemic's profound impact on the health and well-being of nurses. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Pleased to be joined by the president of the RNAO, Morgan Hofarth, who joins us now. Morgan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let's, um, well, you know what, before we crunch some of the numbers in the Nursing Through Crisis report, when and how was this report compiled? Uh, so this report was compiled, it was just released yesterday. This is Nursing Week. Uh, yesterday was International Nurses Day. So the report was released yesterday. But it was completed as a result of a detailed survey that was done between May and July of 2021 during the height of Ontario's third wave of the COVID-19 pandemic. There were 5,200 nurses from across Canada, but with most of them being from Ontario who completed the work and well-being survey, uh, which was done by RNAO. And it also includes data from similarly focused national and international surveys uh, that look at the struggles that nurses have had throughout the pandemic. All right, so you've compiled all this data. Let's go, go through some of the key findings of this report. What are some of the stats that jump out to you the most? Uh, so some of the things that are most kind of alarming or concerning is that 73% of nurses reported that they had an, a moderately or significantly increased workload during the pandemic, as well as looking at uh, 60% of nurses who said they were moderately or extremely concerned about staffing levels, and 42% saying they were planning to leave the profession altogether and look for uh, different jobs or to retire. One of the stats that jumped out to me was the number of nurses who plan to leave their job and leave the, prese- uh, p- the uh, profession altogether, and uh, that was 69% plan to leave their job in five years. 42% of those people said they are done with nursing altogether in that time frame. That is kind of startling to me. Yeah, that's a really alarming number of people and number of nurses that are looking at leaving the profession. That is significantly higher than the kind of typical 5% turnover that we would see every year. Looking at 69% of nurses looking at leaving their at their position, but 42% looking at leaving the profession altogether is really alarming and something that we need to make sure something is done about. Talking about a new survey that the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario has put together that shows that more than 75% of nurses in this country are, well, they classify themselves as burnt out, and there's no surprise given what has happened over the last two years. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, and we're joined by the president of the RNAO, Morgan Hofarth. Given what's happened over the last two years, I think it would be understandable to think that fewer and fewer people will decide to take up nursing as a career, but apparently the opposite is true. More people are applying. Yeah, we've seen a 35% increase in the number of applicants for nursing programs. So we are seeing more people who want to be nurses. I think that that's been one of the kind of positives, positives that's come out of the pandemic, although it's been really difficult for nurses and for the profession, we have really highlighted the work that nurses do and have attracted more people to want to be nurses. 
if in people who enroll in a nursing program or an RN program this year uh, won't graduate for four years, so it's not an immediate solution to the staffing problems, but it is really promising to see how many people still want to be nurses and want to work as nurses. Staffing problems is uh, one of the key issues in a number of recommendations that this report makes. What are some of those recommendations? So we really are looking at immediately increasing the RN workforce. So looking at expediting the applications and helping the 26,000 internationally educated nurses who are already living in Ontario um, get through the registration process, the safe practice process, uh, repealing Bill 124. You heard Doris say it at the opening of this this, uh, conversation today. That wage restraint legislation has really been challenging for nurses who have been, it came into place prior to the pandemic, was not repealed during the pandemic, and really has been detrimental to the profession and helping nurses to feel like their work is valued. And doing everything that we can to really make sure we're looking at safe staffing levels and looking at increased full-time jobs, increasing enrollment for people in second entry and compressed time frame programs because those really help us to get more nurses more quickly. So looking at people who already have a degree who could take a two-year program as opposed to a four-year program in order to become registered as, a, as an RN. You and uh, well, a number of other individuals have called for the uh, repealing of Bill 124. Um, given where we are in this provincial election campaign, we haven't heard much of it, at least from the politicians. How confident are you that, whether it's Doug Ford's PC party or one of the other party leaders that forms government, how confident are you that Bill 124 will be repealed? Not, I'm not, although I'm hopeful that it will be, I'm not confident I'm not confident that it will be repealed. I think it's a really important piece of legislation that does need to be repealed, not just for nurses, but for all of the other public sector employees that this impacts, um, particularly when we look at the rate of inflation, the cost of living. If you're working as a public sector employee, you're capped at a one percent increase, and we know that inflation and the cost of living is much closer to like five or six percent right now. so, it makes it really difficult when the price of everything is increasing, um, but salaries are not increasing to keep up with that rate of inflation. Morgan, appreciate your time today. Enjoy your weekend, and I'm sure we'll uh, discuss uh, the various elements that uh, nursing brings to the table and uh, the great job that you guys do uh, sometime down the road. Thanks again for the time. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That's Morgan Hofarth, president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. By the way, CHML is going to broadcast the Ontario election leaders debate Monday night. It's commercial free and it starts at 6.30. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, I knew last night was going to be a big night one way or another as the Maple Leafs and the Lightning were set to duke it out in Game 6 of their first round Stanley Cup playoff series. So I thought, I gotta have a nap. Because I I was telling a bunch of people that there's going to be an overtime game in this series. And even last night, it was in my gut. I could feel it. So I thought, i got to have a nap. So I had the longest nap, perhaps in the history of, at least for me, naps. Three hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, went to, went to sleep at 3.30, woke up, looked at my phone, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's 
the game is going to be on in like 45 minutes. Couldn't believe it. Almost slept through dinner. So I was well-rested, well-prepared for what eventually was the first overtime game of the series. And the Maple Leafs and the Lightning will play a Game 7 tomorrow night after the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs beat Toronto 4-3 in OT. And it started off well for the Bolts. Tampa Bay opened the scoring for the second game in a row, and they made it 2-0 midway through the second period, but that's when the Maple Leafs found their scoring touch. Mark Giordano scores! Matthews around the net, and somehow that gets through, and the Leafs have life in Game 6. 40 seconds, here comes Spezza. Spezza across, there's the shot, and scores! Game is tied on a deflection, and the Leafs, in the final minute of the second period, have tied it. Flipped away at center. Here's Nylander. Late stages of the period. Maybe a chance in front. Scores! John Tavares with seven. Three goals in that second period. Austin Matthews, who scored 60 during the regular season, scored his fourth goal of the series. That goal came a couple of hours after he was named for the first time a finalist for the Hart Trophy, which is the league's MVP. Um, Edmonton's Connor McDavid and New York Rangers goalie Igor Shosturkin, also finalists for that award. Uh, Captain John Tavares had two goals in the last 34 seconds of the second period, and Toronto had a 3-2 lead heading into the second intermission. But back-to-back high-sticking penalties to David Camp and Alex Kerfoot, two of the Leafs' best penalty killers, uh, gave the Lightning a 5-on-3 power play, and they took advantage of the two-man advantage. There's Perry up high. Back to Kucherov. Scores! came midway through the third period and the two teams had some chances in that third but uh, it would need overtime and in the extra period in the first overtime game of this series uh, sounded like this Hughes lost an edge at center back in comes Hagel centers shot rebound They are. Chris Cuthbert's with the calls. Thanks to Sportsnet for the audio. Braden Point scored with a minute 56 left to go in that first overtime period as Tampa forced a Game 7 with a 4-3 win. There's nothing better than a Game 7, although if you're a Leafs fan, you uh, you wanted it to wrap up last night. Lightning have now won. This is an incredible statistic. 17 games in a row. This is a record in the NHL. 17 straight games following a playoff loss dating back to 2020. The Lightning have come out victorious. And uh, Captain Steven Stamko says, uh, listen, no shot is a bad shot in OT. You never know what, what shot's going to go in the net in overtime. So, you know, obviously you want to defend hard. You don't want to give up much. You know, it was, it was a grind. And it was an elimination game, and both teams had some... Some good chances. Obviously, Bassey made some, some huge saves for us, some really timely saves. The Leafs, who have not won a playoff series since 2004, are now 0-8 in potential series-clinching games since 2018. John Tavares says they fell just short. We had our looks in OT. Uh, unfortunately, we just weren't the ones to cash in on uh, our opportunities. So, you know, we work hard all year to earn home ice, and we get a great opportunity going home in front of our fans. Um, 
try to close this thing out. So just regroup here. Um, look forward to the opportunity. This is what, what the game's all about. So um, is what it is. got to move on from here, regroup, and, and uh, look forward to the chance back at home. Matthew says the game last night was really a coin flip. Could have gone either way. Um, you know, we had our chances. I thought, um, you know, we did a lot of good things, but obviously we couldn't get the job done. But um, you know, we're going back on home ice with uh, with another opportunity to, to close out a series, do or die. So, um, you know, I think the guys are excited about that, and uh, I think we should be. I thought the Leafs played uh, a really good game last night, and so too did Leafs head coach Sheldon Keefe. Our guys played hard. Not a lot between the two teams, which is why you get it to overtime. Loved how we played in overtime. We attacked, we had chances, plenty of opportunities to, to finish it and really gave them nothing until they had the look and then, you know, they they made good on their one look. So that's the difference. That's all you need in overtime. One shot can make the difference and certainly did so last night. There were three other playoff games last night and one of them ended in a series win. The Oilers doubled the Kings 4-2, so they will play a Game 7 as well tomorrow night in Edmonton. The Bruins and Hurricanes also going to Game 7 after Boston blasted Carolina 5-2 and St. Louis has advanced to Round 2. They beat Minnesota 5-1 in Game 6 last night. The Blues now have to play Colorado in the next round. That's going to be a tough task. Uh, as far as the Leafs go tomorrow, I'm not at all not at all confident. Nope. <laughs> not, not since 04 has this team won a playoff round, and they have shown time and time again that when it matters most, somehow, someway, they just can't get the job done. So my confidence level is at a zero. Do I think they can do it? Sure, yeah. They've played a great series. They've taken the champs to seven games and could have won it last night. It was a very winnable game. Andre Vasilevsky has been very ordinary, um, for sure, to his standards in this series. But hey, here we are. Game 7, Leafs and Lightning. It's also the focus of our Twitter poll question today at AM 900 CHML. Will the Leafs beat Tampa Bay in Game 7 on Saturday? Yes or no? Vote now at AM 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. CFL training camp set to kick off this weekend across the country, including right here in Hamilton, where the Tiger Cats are gathering at McMaster University. Here to chat about it is head coach Orlando Steinauer, coach Oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Rick. Yourself? I'm not too bad. Uh, this is certainly an exciting time of the year. What are you most looking forward to when camp begins? Just as always, just being around, uh, being around everybody. Just the energy, the feel that that football's back. It's uh, the feeling that I'm lo- most looking forward to. Did you have that same feeling when you were a player? Absolutely. You know, different, different, of course, uh, different preparation, but. Yeah, like football, when you, when you start getting around training camp time, finally everything that you've done in the offseason has a chance to come to fruition. So uh, definitely some of the same emotions, but not exactly the same. When you were playing, and it wasn't that long ago, uh, what was the best part of camp? What was the worst part of camp? Uh, when I was, You're saying when I was playing? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think the best part is just being around the guys and just having fun, hearing laughters, the locker room. Uh, get, hearing, seeing that first touchdown get cu- caught, the first interception for defense, you know, maybe a punt returner taking it back, those types of things. Uh, the not so fun part's probably about day three when the maximum <laughs> soreness kicks in. <laughs> but it, it's not that it's not fun. It's just you know you, you don't feel great. It happens that early, eh? Day three. Uh, everybody's different, but definitely it starts to set in. You know, when you do that first morning stretch to go touch your toes, 
your hamstrings remind you that you've done a little bit. <laughs> uh, we're speaking with Coach O. Orlando Steinauer, the head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. His training camp begins this weekend at McMaster University. So what's the best and worst part as a coach? I don't. I think the the best is just being around everybody. Like it's just a great feeling. Again, I, I re- go back to the feeling of, of of what it is, and I wouldn't even say there's a worst. I would say that you know you're you want your meetings to go well. You you don't want to you want to have the least amount of injuries and strains as as possible. So you know when you have certain plans and then it gets derailed, which you know is going to happen, that part's not so fun. I would say you know you know from my perspective. From year to year, maybe the one of the most exciting parts of training camp is seeing a player's progression. You know, you see a, a, a player maybe on film or with your team last year, and then this next season in training camp, you notice some progression, uh, some added elements to their game. Uh, how exciting is that to see year in and year out? Yeah, you, you always love to see uh, players get progress. You like to see them when they come back all puffed up and they lifted weights and whatnot, and you know, just their commitment um, to the game and to themselves and to their teammates. That, that part's always fun to watch. And then, you know, some people take huge jumps from year to year, and sometimes they don't take the jump till midseason. You know, it takes time, and, and then you always get your eyes open. You know, fortunately, it looks like we're going to have some preseason games this year, which is always fun for, for players that uh, you really want to take a, a strong look at. And it's always good for even veterans that make your football team again uh, just to get their feet wet. So, yeah, seeing, seeing people progress is always, is always fun, um, especially when there's some of them that are un, you know, not anticipated. You play your first preseason game in 15 days. Has that sunk in yet? Oh, yeah. We're, we're, very, we're very calendar alert, uh, if you will. Uh, definitely understand that. And, um, but that's the exciting thing. That's what I love about the CFL. You get a chance to get out there and then, and then you go play. So every practice, every meeting means something, and uh, we'll be ready to go. Every team is new each and every year with departures and additions. Um, I would say that one of the new elements for the Ticats this year is that you have an undisputed number one quarterback in Dane Evans. Is that going to change anything for the team at all, do you think? Well, I just it's just the talk about it, the media, the hype surrounding it. You know, everybody knows who's going to go in as our number one quarterback under center. There's no guessing games. The players themselves, mainly Dane's, not going to be answering those types of questions. And, you know, we were fortunate to have a couple of franchise quarterbacks uh, in the building for as long as we did. You know, that we knew that wasn't going to last forever. And so, you know, we're excited that uh, Dane's going to take control of this football team. But we're also excited about the people uh, behind Dane, and, you know, and Schultz, Morton, and Newman. We think there's some, some great talent there, and it's it, it is rare when a single quarterback goes through a whole season and takes every snap. And so I think it's important to have depth and competition there just as we do at every other position. So, yeah, it'll be different from the media standpoint, uh, from the football standpoint. That's why you go out and practice. We'll see. Yeah, we're not going to have the, the, the good storylines like we had the last couple of years, Coach O. I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> well, it, it just won't be as easy. That's true. That's true. Coach O, thanks for your time. Good luck uh, not only uh, throughout training camp, but throughout the 2022 season. And I'm sure we'll talk uh, sometime down the road. Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Orlando Steinauer, head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They kick off the preseason May 28th. 
against the Montreal Alouettes at Tim Hortons Field. We'll play the Argos in Guelph on June the 3rd. And game number one for real is June 11th in Saskatchewan. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The OHL playoffs. Uh, well into round two, and the Hamilton Bulldogs are, lo and behold, one win away from completing their second consecutive playoff sweep and uh, will thus book a trip to the OHL's Eastern Conference Final. Reed Duffy is the play-by-play announcer with the Hamilton Bulldogs and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Reed, how are you? Uh, doing great, Rick. How about yourself? I'm good. Uh, the Bulldogs uh, doing exceptionally well. They've won all seven of their playoff games so far this spring. Has there been a common theme so far? It's just been more of the same, and, and consistency, I think, is the key. If you look at the way the Bulldogs ended the season, they've continued it right into the first two rounds of the playoffs. The defense has been strong. They're scoring goals, and especially timely goals. And Marco Costantini, 1.86 goals against and a 9.30 save percentage, 7-0 and with a shutout. That, it, the numbers are just silly. Uh, also, silly numbers from Logan Morrison. He led all Bulldog scorers this regular season, and it really looks like he's taken his game to yet another level in the postseason. What has impressed you about uh, Mo- uh, Logan Morrison's play? Adaptability more than anything. It's not just that he's doing this and, and putting up these kind of numbers, but he's doing it in all situations, and he's doing it no matter who he's on the ice with, whether it's the power play and that incredible connection he's got on the man advantage with Mason McTavish and with a couple of the uh, injuries and suspensions the Bulldogs have had, McTavish and Morrison have had at times to play two minutes full on power plays. Uh, and then at even strength without Avery Hayes, after they tore it up in the first round together, George Diaco bumps up onto that line with Morrison and uh, Humphrey, and Morrison doesn't miss a beat. He's got George Diaco going like he was in the regular season. So it's just everything is turning to gold for Morrison it started all the way back early in the season, and he has just found that it factor at this level. Um, I really think, Rick, at the end of this playoff run, somebody's got to be giving him a contract to the next level because it's consistency with everybody he's on the ice with. We're previewing tonight's Bulldogs-Steelheads playoff game. It is game number four, uh, and uh, the Bulldogs are up three games to nothing. In fact, they've won all seven of their playoff games so far this spring. Reed Duffy is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, and Reed is the play-by-play announcer of the Hamilton Bulldogs. So what should Dogs fans expect tonight? Dogs fans should be expecting another big performance from the top defensive pair of Colton Kammer and Arbor Jackeye. They have been a huge difference maker, especially in this series. James Hardy, Luca Del Belbaluz, that top combination for the Mississauga Steelheads, has had to go up against that top pair. And it has been tough sledding for the top line for the Steelheads. Jackeye and Kammer are a shutdown pair to be reckoned with. And uh, I I think, Rick, they have the ability to help really take this Bulldogs team to yet another level. And uh, if they go back-to-back sweeps, um, this is going to be something to watch for. I think a lot of eyes, if they weren't already opened on this team, will be. And then, of course, Avery Hayes' return to the lineup tonight, so the Bulldogs reinsert a 40-goal score. That, That never hurts. Got about a minute with uh, Reed Duffy with the Hamilton Bulldogs. I don't want to look too far ahead, but it's shaping up to be a Hamilton-North Bay Eastern Conference final. That would be a pretty exciting matchup. That would be a fun matchup. Those are two teams that have a lot of similarities. They've got some size, a ton of skill in the top six. They've got a big mobile defense that can shut teams down. 
Uh, they, both teams have two goaltenders they can use. North Bay is Verbetic and DiVincentis. Bulldogs have Costantini and Drollback if needed. And I think that it would be a very exciting series to be a part of uh, the Bulldogs. I think, Rick, again, you're looking at depths for the Bulldogs. If it comes down to those two teams, can the Bulldogs with that longer bench, three defense pairs, four lines, can they find that spot where they can really take advantage against the battalion? That's one of those only time will tell moments. Yeah, that remains to be seen. Reed, always appreciate the time. Have a great call tonight, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much, Rick, and I'll get my vote in on that poll. I think even as a Bruins fan, the Leafs are taking Game 7. All right. Well, I'm not sure I'm convinced, but uh, I like your optimism. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks for the time, Reed. Reed you Duffy, got it. Thanks so much. Play-by-play announcer, Hamilton Bulldogs. If the Steelheads manage to win tonight, uh, Game 5 of that series will happen Sunday at First Ontario Center. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, there's a, I think... It's a unique phenomenon. I don't know. It might be more common. Our next guest will tell us if it is or not. Sunday night, apparently we're going to be able to see a, stay with me here, super flower blood moon lunar eclipse. What what the heck is that? I guess we'll we'll find out. I was driving to work the other morning, and the moon was like an orangey kind of burnt orange kind of color. It was kind of spooky. And I thought, wow, that'd be cool for Friday the 13th. Uh, by the way, happy Friday the 13th. If you're heading down to Dover, do so safely and uh, have a good time. Also, we're also seeing the first pictures of a black hole at the center of the Milky Way. Oh, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? Spend a couple minutes here with uh, one of our favorite guests, Paul Delaney, professor of astronomy at York University. Paul, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, sir. First off, let's start with the super flower blood moon lunar eclipse. Um, what, <laughs> what is about? it, and is it rare, or is this common? Uh, lunar eclipses occur somewhere on the planet every six months, but to have a complete total lunar eclipse that's visible from start to finish here in, you know, anywhere actually in North America, that's a little rarer, but, uh, you know, it's a great spectacle. The flower aspect of it, the flower moon is the name, the colloquial name for the full moon in May. So on Sunday evening, the moon is going to rise across the uh, horizon at sunset. Beautiful appearance, so get your camera out. But two hours later, the moon is going to enter the Earth's shadow. It's going to begin to encroach on the Earth's shadow, which means that bright full moon is going to get steadily dimmer as the black shadow crosses the moon's surface. And by about 11.30, it's going to turn the moon entirely coppery red or blood sort of color in appearance because now the full moon is entirely in the Earth's shadow, which means, of course, that the light from the sun can no longer directly reach the moon's surface. That's very that cool. Ready, that, oh, really cool. Uh, that reddish color, by the way, happens because sunlight is still filtering into the Earth's atmosphere. And just like at sunrise or sunset, when you see the sun appearing to be sort of orangey-red, that light can reach the moon's surface. So it's not the direct rays of light from the sun, but sort of the dispersed colors of the rainbow, the, the reddish colors reaching the moon and reflecting off the surface. That's what gives rise to that coppery appearance. Well, and that's going to last for nearly an hour and a half on Sunday. Nice. Also from the very cool department, we're seeing our first pictures of the black hole at the center of the Milky Way. How, how amped up are you to see this? 
Uh, well, the, fabulous. I mean, you know, here we've got our home uh, giant, uh, uh, giant black hole being imaged for the first time. And it's really hard to image it. I mean, it's 27,000 light years away. It's black, of course. It makes it very hard. We've got to be able to see through the plane of our galaxy, which is full of dust and gas and stars, to be able to actually see an object that we have uh, theorized for you know, a couple of decades now really cool image yesterday so are we slowly being sucked into this thing no (laughs) it's too far away no uh but of course its gravitational influence on its nearby stars is very profound and of course we believe that black holes at the centers of galaxies do play an important role in the formation of the galaxy and the structures of the galaxy but no at twenty-seven thousand light years away it's a great sight to look at. It's it's no danger to us at all. All right. Crisis averted. Paul, I wish we had more time, but we got to run. Thank you for your time and enjoy your weekend. I will indeed. Clear skies to you. That is Paul Delaney, professor of astronomy at York University. Uh, very cool. Pics of the black hole and uh, also the super flower blood moon lunar eclipse. Say that fast five times. Uh, will happen Sunday night, uh, which is uh, cool to see. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.